Thank you so much for being here this morning. As we begin this morning, I want to ask, and this isn't a uh, word of recrimination, it's a word of encouragement. It may sound like that in the beginning. Did any of you miss last week's class? If you did, let me please encourage you, encourage you. I don't know whether we call it tapes, CDs, whatever we call these things anymore. But however you do it, would you keep up with what is being said in here as we move forward? Because so much is going to be built on what has already occurred. And we don't want you to get just bits and pieces of something and perhaps miss an integral part of the puzzle, if you would, and try to put the two or three pieces that we speak about in any particular class into a context that I just don't quite understand how this fits together. So would you do that? And we have several visiting this morning, so, and I'm not going to mention anyone in particular, because if I do, we're going to mess up other folks. But we're so glad to see this lovely couple over here. I'm not going to tell you their names because you should find out who they are. They're living in California. And I know that we have others in here who haven't been here before, so welcome so much. I I, I just have to begin like this. I've been told by some I should not do this, but I don't mind doing it because I think it's very important for you to see behind the scenes i think it's you know diana is a a drama person those of you who know her know what i mean but she really does she writes she produces wave your hand so we'll know who you're talking about and she and she and she will tell you that what you see on stage is the product of a huge amount behind the scenes am i right about that Yes. And so what you see and hear in here on Sunday morning in this man is but a glimpse of something that hopefully the Lord is doing during the week. And I must say to you, and I've said this I think before, and it's so not shocking to me, but it's and it's not even quizzical. I, I, I don't know quite what to call it. What we're going to be sharing in here, how many of you have taken your premarital counseling from me? How many have had premarital counseling in here? I mean, more than that, several of you have. Several of you should have, I can tell you that. You know, well, whatever, no, 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 no. <laughs> And, and I, I do it differently than the other guys. That isn't to say it's right or wrong, better or worse. I just do it differently. And so what I believe the Lord is doing here, and I'm hoping to get through at least another page in my notes this morning, is recounting and sharing what God has been giving us over the years. As he has been showing us to use 
Genesis as the foundation, the moorings of his purpose and the significance and the transcendence of marriage. So you would think, well, this is going to be something that the old man is going to be able to be put together in a way very quickly and easily for the class. And I'll tell you this, and I really do. I need your prayers. This little dog leg to the left, if you would, or to the right, which will take two, three, four weeks, whatever it is, and we'll go back to Matthew 19, has been one of the greatest struggles of how to put this together. It just, I, it's like I've never done this before. I've never thought of this. I've never, this is like brand new, it feels like I'm brand new territory for me. And it isn't. It isn't. And I share that struggle with you, not so you can commiserate with me and say, oh, about Peter. No, it's not about that. It's about the Spirit of God using us corporately, collectively, as a united body of Jesus in unity, asking for his message to be conveyed through this particular man in this particular occasion in a way that will bless you and will build you up and will encourage and will arm and equip us, whether we are singles or marrieds, isn't the issue, will equip us against the schemes, the enchantment of the devil, and equip us for the purposes of God. Amen? So would you do that? Would you do that? And so, I again, I, I start the class today with trepidation, thinking, well, I hope I don't fumble this. I hope I don't mess it up. I hope it can move along. And quite frankly, I'm very nervous. For maybe the first time, I've been teaching since I was 19 years old. I'm 74 years old. This isn't anything new for me. And so for the first time, I'm really concerned. And so why do I share that? And I've been told, well, you shouldn't do that because people... No, no. I think you need to see that all of us no matter whether we have the label of pastor, elder behind our name, or the, you're just, in your mind, the lowest of the low in the church, the least of the least. All of us are those weak vessels whom God has empowered by his spirit and who must anoint to be effectively used in his kingdom. Amen. It's not a matter of Peter Davidson. It's not a matter of you. It's a matter of the Holy Spirit. Is that all right to share that with you? Now, can we go on tape? This is on tape? We're we're on tape, Eddie? Thanks a lot. Okay. Father, once again, thank you for your presence. Father, once again, we're here for you. Father, once again, this class has 
Everything, hopefully, we do in this church is about you and is from you. So, Father, we ask one thing, that you be manifested among us as glorious. Father, that we, as a result of whether being in the prayer time, being in this class, being in youth, being in Royal Rangers, being in uh, the worship service beginning at 10, whatever. Father, that as a result of this work that you draw us together to meet with you formally once a week, will produce in us your presence in a greater, deeper, stronger way. Father, like Paul, we say, oh, that we may know you, Father. Use this class and everything else we do in that great work in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we introduced, and I didn't mean to spend the whole class on the first lesson, but that's just, I think, sometimes. Hopefully it's the Holy Spirit that does that, and it's just not my wayward thinking and kind of loose, you know, moving along. But today, I think we'll be able to get through most of the immaterial. You remember what the context of the class is. In Matthew 19, Jesus is approached by a group of Pharisees, which has been common at this point. The Pharisees have been coming to Jesus. They've been following him. There he goes, go get him. And they've been following him into Judea. They've been following him into Galilee. They've been following him when he crosses the road, when he's over here eating. They're watching him because they want to find something in him that would be faulty some area of doctrine or practice into which they could put their hooks and draw him into a place that would reveal he's not the Messiah. He's not the Messiah. He's a charlatan. He's a good man and he does a lot of wonderful things, but he is not the Messiah. See, because they were expecting a different type of Messiah, which is, again, another study in itself. And the problem is that this carpenter, this man from Nazareth, remember Nathaniel, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He didn't know Jesus was from Bethlehem, from the house and lineage of David, the king. Who is this man? Well, let's ask him a few questions to get him to show us that he is actually not upholding the law of Moses, but he is weakening it. He is polluting it. Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? They asked Jesus in Matthew 19, and I think it's verse 3. And they're coming from Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 especially. And we won't reteach that. And what does Jesus answer? As I shared last week, if anyone asks you as a believer, do you believe in 
that homosexuality is wrong? Do you believe in same-sex marriage? Do you believe that whatever, all of these issues that are coming up today, do you believe that, David? And if they ask me, I'm not going to answer them, yes, I do or no, I don't. I'm not doing that, Murphy. I'm not doing it. I'm going to say I believe what the Word of God says. Because who gives a mm-hmm about what Peter Davidson thinks? I want to point them to the foundation, to the source, to the creator, God himself. So when we study any issue, and in particular this issue of marriage, since this is where we are, we want to be careful as believers to do what Jesus says. And he says what? From the beginning. What beginning? Genesis. The word Genesis means beginning. And Jesus quotes two verses from Genesis. Remember verse 27 of chapter 1 and verse 24 of chapter 2. And he gives us answer that way. And so why do we go to Genesis? Because Jesus goes to Genesis. Again, another proof text. Why we do what we do. Luke 24. The resurrection is completed. I'm not going to get through these notes today, am I? You're going to have to just forbear. I'm going to be slow in this. Luke 24. The resurrection has occurred. And a couple of the disciples are walking away, beaten down because they don't know anything about the resurrection. All they know is this man, this man in whom we had hope. Oh, this is the man. This is, he's from God. He's the one. We had hoped he was the Messiah. But Jerry, they crucified him when we saw him die. All hope is gone. And Jesus doesn't upbraid them and say, what's the matter? You didn't believe what I told you and this and that. I was with you all those times. I did all those he points them to the scripture. And in verse 27 and verse 44, what does he say? Going back to where? Beginning in the law of, or the words, the law of memory, the Pentateuch of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. He opened to their minds all things that were written about him. So Jesus is a great school of the word teacher. Where does he begin his teaching? And so we said last week, and I repeat these things a lot of times, because if I don't repeat them and I gave you a test next week about what we said 10 times, guaranteed 60 to 80% of you will fail it. Guaranteed. You want to take a chance on that? I'll show you one day. And that's not a pleasing thought to me. Genesis 1, 1. What does Genesis 1, 1 say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That, as I said last week, is the most breathtaking, amazing, startling, fundamentally significant, controlling verse of the entire Bible. Because everything else written after verse 1 is an exposition of verse 1. 
Jesus died for my sin is a, a huge revelation. But it is the result of verse 1, don't you see? So verse 1 is the foundational, in my mind, verse in the entire Bible. That's the foundation. Then built on that, out of that soil, if you would, is the great trunk of this tree called our Bible. And that great trunk is composed of verses 1, 2, and 3 of Genesis. And then from there the branches go out. And the rest of the Bible is setting on these three chapters of Genesis. We must know what's in those. So let's try to go through a little bit of Genesis 1, just some specifics of information in order to begin to understand the place, significance, purpose, outworking, durability, the glory of what God has in mind by creating marriage. And again, once again, This is an understanding that marriage has within the context of the church, the body of Christ. It isn't that God doesn't want all marriages to image him. He certainly has that general understanding. It has that general understanding. But those that do specifically image him are the ones that are contained in the church. So let's look at Genesis to understand why Jesus references in Genesis 1.26. Now, without looking at anything, look at me. Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. Please do that for me. Everybody look. Steve, look at me. You see, a teacher is quick. A teacher, Phil would tell you that. We quick. We are quick with our eyes. We see if you're looking at me. Everybody look at me. Now, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Do not raise your hand. Did everybody get that? Do not raise your hand. While, don't look at me. What does verse 126 say? No, no, don't look at me. Look at me, sorry. Look at me. Look at me. Don't. No, sorry, look at me. Boy, Judy Gambino quickly looked away. Look at me. What does verse 26 say? Now, you judge yourself. Let, let, shh. This is cheating. Don't, don't tell anybody. Now, I, I just say that to say this. If there is any verse in the Bible that I have quoted more often than this verse, I don't know what it is, Lester. And yet, I dare say if I asked you to raise your hand a very large portion of you would not have been able to answer. God has created everything that there is by verse 25. We get to verse 26. Here is the reason why God has done what he does and everything about our life, everything is contained within the context of verse 26. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, there's a little rest of it, but that's the part I want to emphasize. There it is. The purpose statement of God of why he has done what he's done. I'm going to create humanity so that in these people, among these people, through these people, this group, this community, this gathered together humanity, I 
am going to reveal to them and to the cosmos the most startling and amazing and unique revelation that there is about myself. That's why God creates us. That's why God creates us. And do you notice then, look at verse 27. Now you can look at your Bibles. Oh, man, that was hard looking away at him all that time. Then we get into verse 27. God has told us what he's going to do. And then God tells us what he did. You see the past tense. Future tense, what I'm going to do, I'm going to create it. And verse 27 is what I did. Therefore, God created. You see the ED, the past tense. Okay. What does God do? Verse 27. So God created man. The word man in the Hebrew is Adam, A-D-A-M. It means humanity. It can mean a man or a human group. Adam, so the word Adam is the literal translation of man or mankind. Let us make Adam in, in God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So how does God fulfill his purpose? He creates humanity as the means of create, of fulfilling his purpose for creation. Why has God done what he's done? For one reason only. One reason only. He set the stage for one purpose only. Diana, you set the stage for one purpose. To put what? The play on the stage, correct? That's your purpose. Everything that you've done is for the purpose of producing a play. And everything, everything God's done is for the purpose of producing in us, his people, or reproducing in us, his people, or showing in, through us, or reflecting in us who he is and how he is. Therefore, he creates man, uh, male and female. Then in chapter 2, verse 24, you have to flip over a little bit and keep your hand in chapter 1 because we'll come right back to it. Just jumping ahead, by the way. In verse 26 and 27 of chapter 1, you have the future, what I'm going to do, verse 27, what I did. Now, between these two verses, between these two verses, sets verse 7 to 25 of chapter 2. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I did. I'm going to build a house. I built the house. Now, let me come back and fill in the details of what I did when I built the house. So this is not two different documents written by a couple of different people coming together and two different stories of creation, as some say. That's ridiculous. It is a statement, a general statement. Chapter 1 is the outline of the skeleton of the creation, what God is doing. And then in chapter 2, verse, which really begins in verse 4, we begin to get the details of the filling in, if you would, of the skeleton, putting flesh and bone, uh, flesh and muscles and sinew and so on on it. And so at the end of it, we really have a picture. So verse 7 to 25 of chapter 2 goes right between verse 26 and 27 of chapter 1. And so chapter 2, verse 24, what does it say? Somebody help me to remember what that says. So what? Therefore what? A man shall leave his father and mother. In other words, a man shall leave his mom and them. Jonathan, are you from here? Okay, mom and them, you got what I mean then. Those of you who are not from here, their mom and them means his parents. He shall leave his mom and them and do what? And cleave to his wife. 
And what will happen? The two will become one flesh. And so we have here a picture of the purpose of marriage. Two becoming one flesh. And so this means that God purposefully creates the covenant of marriage. He didn't have to do it this way. He could have said that man and women and let's have kids and start doing that. And he could have done it a whole lot of other ways, I suppose. But specifically, he creates marriage as the foundational revelation of his self-revelation. The foundational means, rather, of his self-revelation. And when I say marriage, I not only mean the nuclear marriage of a man and a woman, because that is but an image of the spiritual marriage of what? Christ and the church, the body of Christ. And so you see, Genesis, the Bible begins with a marriage. The Gospel of John begins with a marriage. Chapter 2. Revelation ends with a marriage. And so I want you to begin to see that marriage is a context, a covenant of fellowship and relationship that has to do with God's self-revelation. So this does not mean that those who are not married are not able to fulfill God's creative purpose. They certainly do in Christ. Because all of us who are in Christ, whether we're single or whether we are married, are married people to our bridegroom whose name is Jesus Christ. But there is, in the context of the church, a specific group of people whom God joins together in marriage, husbands and wives, that more particularly in relevant areas are able as they walk and abide in Christ and obey him are able to image aspects of God that single people simply cannot do as well. I didn't say can't do, did I? As well. And so we must see God's plan. Now that doesn't mean that if you're, how many single people in here? That doesn't mean that the singles, that you're left out and you're not any good or whatever. You glorify God to the max as you obey Christ. Amen? But there's certain aspects of God's nature that singles can reflect that married people do not reflect and that married people reflect and that single people do not reflect. Does that mean that one group is more important and significant to Christ than the other group? Not at all. Not at all. Different function, different purpose as far as imaging is concerned. Okay, do we get that? Because I don't want this to become an understanding where that some churches or people feel, maybe in this church too, the emphasis is always on married, always on married, never on singles. And if ever we overemphasize one to the detriment of the other, I think we're out of balance. Because all of us together are the body of Christ. And remember what Paul talks about in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. What part of the body is more important than another part? How many of you have ever dropped a brick or something on your smallest toe and realized that's 
as important as anything else in my body. And the only way to overcome the pain of a little toe that you stub is to take a hammer and hit another part of your body. And then the pain shifts, you see? <clears throat> so those of you who are little toes, some of you are noses. This is Hannah, everybody. She's my audience. Thank you. When I do this, she laughs. When I do that, she laughs. When I don't do it, you don't hear any laughter. That was supposed to be a little slight joke. Did you get it? <laughs> Some of you are noses. Okay. All of us are equally important to God. Although all of us do not reflect the image of God in the same areas the same way. Are you okay with that? Does that mean that you're not important and you're less equal and all that? Not at all. I want to make sure you know that because the enemy is slick. He's a slivery, slimy serpent. And he is easily undermines what God is doing by creating these thoughts and these attitudes of, you know, this is more important than that and, and status and all that kind of thing. Whether you are an elder in this church, there are two elders in this room today, Phil Wyden and I, or whether you're the newest member in Christ, you just got saved five minutes ago. All of us are absolutely equal before God in our significance and acceptance. Amen? There's different function. That's what we're emphasizing in marriage. I'm not going to go very far in this. This may be a six-year thing. So, I want to skip some of the notes. I think I've said enough. Singles and married. But God has created... And do you see that in your notes, but God has created marriage to be? Do you see that? Is that in your notes? Somebody show me your notes. Okay. I want you to write this down. I want you to write this down. God has created marriage to be. I'm asking you to write it down. God has created marriage to be the clearest. You've heard this before, haven't you, Steve? God has created marriage to be the clearest and most compelling revelation. John, you've heard this before, haven't you? You should already have it written down. You don't even need to take notes. You already know this. I told John the other day, look, we're going to cover things we've been covering together. If you're bored, just take a nap, but not in here. <laughs> God has created marriage to be the what? Clearest and most compelling revelation of who he is and how he is. Of who he is and how he is. God has created marriage to be the clearest and most compelling revelation of who he is and how he is, or of his nature and character, if you rather that way, of his nature and character. Did, I, did you get that? Do I need to repeat it? 
God has created marriage to be the clearest and most compelling revelation of who he is and how he is, or if you like, of his nature and character. Who he is, his nature, how he is, his character. What happens? How does, he, how does that nature work itself out? I am by nature a human being. My character, I do this, that, and the other thing, and I act that, and so on, and I should have done the other, and whatever. Just, I, I think sometimes it's very good for us or challenging for us to rework terminology. So last week, remember, I said God's love. And I said, I don't want to normally say it that way. What did I say? I'd rather say what? God's kind of love, which all of a sudden causes you to think, wait a minute. That makes a distinction between my love and his love. And that's how I want us to think here. So just having given you that definition, if you would, this relates to the image. Just having given you that definition, look at it. Marriage is to be the what? Clearest. Underline the word clear. And then underline the word most compelling. Now, with that understanding, alone, does this elevate in your mind the significance, the prominence, the purpose, the transcendence of what marriage is, really. Because if we do not connect marriage as anything in the church, you understand, anything, but we're talking about marriage. If we do not connect marriage into the very person and heart and character of God Almighty himself, then we have missed its central purpose and power. And as a result, the motivation and the empowerment to live as married couples in such a way that genuinely images this God will be diminished in us. But the more consistently and persistently we connect our marriage, my marriage to Gene, connected to God himself, into the centrality of who God is, not just God generally, but who he is in himself, who is this unique being, what is he showing of himself, <gasps> look at this being who is only God. If we do not persistently, continually connect our marriage, no matter what is happening, but especially in times of difficulty, into the very person of God himself, we will be able to be taken more advantage of by the enemy. But to the extent that we anchor and hold on and live out our marriages within the context of this being whom we are imaging in our marriage, 
the enemy will have a lot less ability to overcome because we are arming ourselves with the very person of God Almighty who told Abraham, I am your shield. Remember, Ephesians, take up the shield of faith. God himself is our shield. Amen? This is what we must do. So once again, I only got page one done. I'm going to have to do better than this. Let's leave this morning with a view of the transcendence of the majesty of the awesome breathtakingness of what God has done in us, first of all, in Christ, but specifically in marriage. And men, and you'll have to tell him this, what I just said. And men, look at your wife and know for sure that you need her more than you need the breath in your own body in order to fulfill God's purpose. And wives, look at your husbands and know that you need him more than the breath in your body to fulfill your purpose. So that literally, Genesis 2.24 is made manifested not only in its position in Christ, the two having become what? One flesh. But that is an outworking. And as these two people walk in a manner that they are literally living out the reality of unity or oneness, they are declaring about God that which is not able to be seen anywhere as significantly and clearly. And they are declaring the most critical, the most central truth about God himself. Amen? So hopefully today, even as we leave having done one page, I'm not going to get frustrated about this. I'm just going to fight myself on this. If it's okay with you to take this time. I want us to leave. I believe the Holy Spirit, I know the Holy Spirit wants us to leave with a view of marriage that is beginning to be elevated above what we had when we came in. That means this. Everything and anything. May I repeat that, Steve? Everything and anything. And you may write this down. I may have it in my notes, but you may write it down. Everything and anything. David, did I leave anything out of that? You're the attorney. Everything and anything in and about our marriage. Everything and anything in and about our marriage is directly affecting the image of this mighty God. So this week, as you are home and you get, and all that, whatever it all is, know this, that what we are doing as husbands and wives is still,
stating this is how God is. He's argumentative. He's jealous in the wrong sense. He's bitter. He's cranky. He's impatient. And if you want to lie about anything, lie about anything if you really want to. But don't lie about the very person of God himself. Amen. Let's keep these things in our minds. Please continue to pray. Thank you for coming in. Come back next week and bring, and I was going to say drag, but I shouldn't say that. Bring many more. This is, I love that this room is filled because it encourages me. Not because they come to hear Peter Davidson. That's not interesting. But that you've come to hear, hopefully, what the Holy Spirit is going and is telling us about this issue of marriage in particular. Amen? Thank you.